And we're back, Chelsea fans, with a new episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. Again, we are missing Sambagherzade because apparently school is more important than the podcast. But we do have Andres here. Andres, how you doing? Doing pretty well. We had another three points added. Arsenal dropped some points. So it's a win-win kind of weekend. Spurs should have dropped some points. <sighs> yeah. God, that was fucking annoying. But you know what? They have been getting by uh, through the skin of their teeth in the last few matches. I mean, but besides the European masterclass against Barcelona, right? Oh, my God. I what? cannot believe that. Was it Gillum? Ah, the Spanish reporter saying that that's the best ever performance in the camp no he's ever seen in the past 10 years. Last time I checked, we eliminated Pep's, like, golden generation with 10 men. So, I, I yeah. looked back into it. I think in 2013, like, I, I could be – I think I think it was 2013 where Bayern Munich went in there and won 3-0 and then they won, they won at home 4-0. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because Bayern went in and also beat – yeah, yeah, they beat – like all the big sides on their way to beating Dortmund in the final. Yes. Yeah, it's just it, it it's this nonsense of this infatuation with Spurs, and I feel like it's the I Pochettino like, love, man. I think that guy oh that guy's God. been like aiming for Pochettino to become the Madrid manager for a while now. If like you follow that guy, so I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but the point is that guy just has like a thing for Poch, and it's just so obnoxious. I, I really hope he fucks off the Madrid because. I mean, there, there's like this infatuation with Tottenham here in the United States for those of our listeners that are abroad. There's a, there's this odd infatuation with them that I don't understand. Like one of my really uh, – one of my cousins – actually, he's like one of my closest cousins. But I was talking to him, and uh, he started getting into the Premier League recently. You know, He didn't grow up playing soccer like I did. But like who's your team, man? You, who's your English club? He's like, I like Tottenham. Oh, why do you do you like winning trophies do you like you know consistency do you like winning things in general like i i i i don't understand but yeah i mean it's a shame um but we do have some positive chelsea stuff to talk about so so fuck tottenham we got that out of the way uh let's just jump right into the chelsea versus vd match so uh 2-2 um, excuse me. It was two-two. The we obviously drew in a game that really didn't matter. But I mean, we had a couple cameos that are worth noting. So I, the only things I really want to talk about in this game, besides Drew's free kick, uh, is Callum Hudson Odoi and Ethan Ampadu. So let's start with Callum Hudson Odoi. I mean, three shots on in the in the match. Two of them on target. Four key passes. Six out of eight dribbles completed. And he even put his foot in. And won two tackles. So, I mean, Andres, I guess, have his recent performances been good enough to warrant playing time in, let's say, like the more important matches like the Premier League? I mean, he didn't feature in the squad uh, or on the bench for uh, our Premier League match against Brighton later in the week. Um, Do you think he's done enough? I mean, I don't even think he needs to there's players in other teams like arsenal and spurs who have never done anything and they're getting playing time in the premier league i think the biggest reason why we should play him is that lack of a signed contract if things don't change he's going to leave he's being targeted by clubs like Bayern, for god's sake so it's not a good thing to have your potential 
winger of the next five, ten years leaving with a potential transfer ban. So the kid can play, especially against these bottom sides where maybe our starters might think, oh, I don't really need to try so hard against Brighton. But yeah, I think we need to play him. And now that we're deploying this false nine, that only gives him more of a chance to play on that left side if William needs a break. So yeah, let's play Hudson-Odoi a little bit more. I mean, there is a lot of talk about uh, how, I guess, unique Maurizio Sarri's uh, substitutions have been lately. So, I mean, we see we, we saw Ruben Loftus-Cheek play play on the right wing for his third match um, against Brighton. Um, obviously, he didn't start, but still, it's it's an option that's off the bench, and I think right now it's a little bit more efficient than Callum Hudson-Odoi just because Ruben's a little bit more established. He's older. He's a little bit more mature, but... Um, I completely agree with you, man. I here's a th- here's where I get it. Here's where I get angry. We've let youth talent slip away before, um, and, and the most recent one I could think of would probably be Dom Solanke, where his contract, um, where his contract demands were just too ridiculous for the club to fathom, and they let him walk. He wound up going to Liverpool, and now his talent's being wasted because there is a player in there, um, but. I, the same thing could happen to Callum Hudson Adoy, except I don't think he's going to go to another Premier League club and just, you know, ride the bench. I think he's way too talented for that. I think he's going to look at guys like Reese Nelson and Jaden Sancho and be like, hey, why don't I just go to Germany and just fuck shit up over there? And then eventually I could probably get a big move to, you know, um, one of the top clubs in the world, even. Um, I know Bayern Munich have been a club that's been linked with him, they need young wingers. The news about Kingsley Coman's injury isn't good for them. Now, I mean, they still have Robin and Ribery who are old. It makes sense for for that for a club like that to go in for a player like Callum Hudson Odoi, someone that doesn't spend a lot of money, that integrates their youth players, that develops their youth players, gives them adequate playing time. If you're Callum Hudson Odoi, I mean, and this is a sad part that I hate admitting as a Chelsea fan, but if, if you're Callum Hudson Odoi, you look at Chelsea and you look at clubs like Bayern Munich or like Borussia Dortmund or any other German club for that matter and you think to yourself where is the best opportunity to grow and develop as a player while getting playing time and you would be hard pressed to find uh, any other answer besides go to Germany I mean at least that's how I see it the Bundesliga is probably the most progressive league in terms of playing the youth I mean Leroy Sané came out of there uh, Max Meyer is now a Crystal Palace. He's kind of faded, but he was playing at Schalke at like age 18. You mentioned Reese Nelson. You got guys um, like – there's a lot of players. Yeah, or, Julian Green, half of the Red Bull Leipzig team. It's half just, the U.S. national team now. We got like Weston McKinney. We got Christian Pulisic. We got Bobby Wood. Even right. Josh Sargent now. It's just – And it's it's put into their culture as a as – a, as a whole league, though, they they believe in, in bringing these kids up and not having to spend big. So, yeah, it makes so much sense to just go to Germany, kick ass for maybe, like you said, Schalke or like like even Leon Goretzka went from Schalke youth straight to Bayern. Like that kind of thing never happens in the Premier League. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very enticing for a young 18 year old who knows he can compete with the best of them. To think, yeah, maybe I should go elsewhere. It, Chelsea really need to, like, if they haven't figured it out by now, I, I, it's it's a scary thought that we might let him walk away too. 
you know, here's the thing is if it, it, is the deal is a problem that his contract's going to run out or is it that we just have to renew him because he's 18 now and we just got to lock him down? Um, I think it's more about locking him down. Yeah, I think he, he I don't think it's like he walks in the summer. I yeah. just think that with a dwindling contract, we're not we're going to get, you know, spared change for some for one of the potential next generation of, of great players. So like, like Ampadu signed a five year deal this mm-hmm. summer and that now kind of gives us a little bit of time to, to really work with him. But it seems like you know, there's a difference, you know, uh, Ampadu plays for Wales every time he goes on international break. And then you got Calum Hudson-Odoi watching his buddy in uh, Jadon Sancho getting called up to the, to the national team and Mason Mount getting called up to the national team. And he's not even in the Premier League. So I, I think that's the issue here. You've got a, a, a manager in England who is obviously willing to put in time with the youth. And because Calum Hudson-Odoi isn't even getting on the pitch, he's I, I could see why his, his head is turning to these potential rumors with a move away. See, like most transfer rumors, I really don't buy into, but this one I actually do because it makes sense. There's like, like you said, there's logic behind it, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking at it in terms of what's best for his future, yeah, I mean, it is. The, I think it is the Bundesliga. To be completely honest, I mean, if you just look at the track record at Chelsea, putting Sari aside and putting, you know, whether he was uh, decent in his recent performances or not, um, that's the that, that's his best chance to grow. Now, the interesting question for me. And this is something I haven't really thought about too much. If he is still under contract and he doesn't decide to sign a new one, obviously we have this transfer ban coming. Um, if that transfer ban does happen and he doesn't sign a contract, he's going to be out before the transfer ban is over or, or before the transfer ban is enacted just so Chelsea could get some money for him and reinvest. How much money can Chelsea get for him? I mean, if you were going to price him out in the market – where would you price him out based on his age and his experience? Because, I mean, you see guys like Vinicius and Rodrigo that, that Real Madrid just bought. I mean, what did they spend? Uh, a combined $100 million between the two guys, b- between two players that are barely getting into the first team and that were barely getting into the first team at their parent clubs uh, before yeah. they signed for Real. So, I mean, if you're Callum Hudson-Odoi, you're a young English talent, you're a flashy winger, you have a great reputation in terms of uh, the youth ranks. You've won a Youth World Cup with England. You were one of the best players on that squad. I, what price do you go for? I honestly don't think it's that high because I don't see his next move. If Again, I really hope Chelsea get their shit together and, and get him locked down and show him that they're fully trusting him. But in, again, worst-case scenario where he's moving away, I only see him moving abroad. So because of that... I don't think his price tag will be as high just because a Premier League team isn't going to play pay the British tax for Hudson Adoy. So I honestly see us maybe getting 30 million tops just because, again, we if we have to sell them, we're not coming from a position of strength. So I don't see us getting as big of a, a price tag as someone like Vinicius, who is, you know, touted to be the next Neymar or like Hudson Adoy is definitely extremely talented but he doesn't have he's not brazilian so he can't be compared to the next neymar is, is the point i'm trying to make so i i think 30 million 30 million yeah see i think 30 million's a, a fair price for him right because 30 million's enough to the point where chelsea could look at it and say wow we're actually getting a lot of money mm-hmm. and Bayern munich could be like look if we harness this kid 
and, and, and we harness his talent, 30 million will turn into upwards of 80 if he reaches his full potential. So don't worry, guys. We're not talking about Chelsea <laughs> selling him. This is just banter because this is the Romans Empire podcast, right, Andres? And what do we do here? We talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. You're damn right. So let's move on to uh, Ethan Ampadu, who we're not going to talk shit about. Um, but we're actually uh, we're going to praise him because, I mean, let's be honest. It was a very, very shaky start to the game for him. And the fact that <laughs> he conceded an own goal um, just made matters a little bit worse, right? So, I mean, based on what I saw from Ampadu is the early stages of a leader, Right. I, I, I think everybody, every player that becomes a great leader throughout their career, I mean, you could start to sense it pretty early on. And with Ethan Ampadu, we're definitely seeing that um, he's he's constantly talking to his teammates around him. He's finger pointing. I mean, we mentioned it last year on the podcast where uh, in, in one of his appearances, he was actually like pointing out to Gary Cahill where he should have been in one of the cup <laughs> matches. And uh, someone that does that is pretty ballsy. But, I mean, besides that, the kid is talented. He knows how to read the game. And I'm just extremely impressed with his poise because, I mean, you're going to get into it. So I'm just going to let you have this, Andres. I mean, Ethan Ampadu, let's dissect his performance. What did you think? Man, this kid's got cojones. Like, this guy's got balls. Like, you go, you're you're a teenager playing for one of the biggest clubs in Europe, and you score an own goal. Most kids would turn around and just be like, "Well, shit, there goes my career here." But Ampadu literally just wiped it off and just freaking just performed. The guy was he was not settling for just sideways passes. Yes, he missed a few passes, but he was looking to make something happen, kind of the way that David Luiz and Rudiger do when playing center back. He continues to be a leader. And then the one thing that like just was like, yes, this kid is it was later in the game. He broke up a fight that included both Hudson and Dwayne Emerson, where he just pulled them off and started yelling at them to get back into their position and finish this game out. Like the kid is a freaking teenager and he's pulling people off, like not dealing with bullshit. Like that just reminds me like instantly of Carlos Puyol at Barcelona. Like the guy would never get into like the antics of like, talking shit or anything he literally would just be like dude quit but like talking to this guy and go do your job and that mm-hmm. was just like to me that that was it. it's like let this kid play do not sign another center back in january like this is your fourth string guy right now and this guy could honestly if christensen doesn't get his head out of his own butt like bump him to the third string like i want more of ampadu whether that's at center back whether that's at right back whether that's at center mid that's the kind of attitude you need in a team that you know quote unquote lacks vocal leadership and i mean i'm not gonna lie Maurizio sari does love uh, uh the sort of yes men characters in this team right so i mean we got guys like ruben loftus cheek who's I mean, we've seen Sari uh, confidently play him as a center midfielder, but we've also seen him play him as a right winger. We've seen uh, guys like Eden Hazard go from the left wing to the false nine, which he, we already knew he could do, but we've seen him move Dave to left back. Um, and now, we, I mean, we've seen him play Ampadu in a few different positions now. So, I mean, initially we saw him as a right back, and now he's a center back. He plays a center mid for Wales. Um, I mean, the kid could do it all, and Sari really seems to like that kind of player 
And it's usually those types of players that could play multiple positions that are the vocal leaders and they are the better footballers, actually. Um, I mean, you, you talked about it last week, the whole Joshua Kimmich uh, comparison, right? Where, you know, you got guys like Ethan Ampadu that are young and that can develop and that have all the physical and mental tools to be great, um, but just need to kind of, um, I mean, what's the right, right word? Groom themselves into a fully mature footballer. And Ethan Ampadu has all that potential. And it's it, it's really, it, it's, it's actually amazing to see. And Andres, you touched on it. The whole Christensen thing, yeah, if Christensen doesn't get his shit together sometime soon, I wouldn't be uh I wouldn't be too opposed to have to do play over him. And as of right now, I think he should be the fourth string. Um if I'm the manager, I'm not thinking about bumping Ampadu up yet. I mean he's played against a few pub sides right. and looked good. I mean, we've seen Christensen play against um a, a, a couple of the top six teams last season when he had his little uh decent run of form and i mean he looked absolutely incredible i think christian is christensen is a forgotten talent i think a lot of chelsea fans are taking him for granted just because he hasn't been playing well now which is something uh irrational chelsea fans tend to do but i mean ampadu is ampadu's great i mean I, i'm with you man if there's a way that we could integrate him into the squad i'm all for it and, and we talk about this thing with the youth all the time right how much how many uh, youth players from Chelsea come through, they wind up making the first team squad, but never actually get any playing time because they're not good enough, right? But you got right. guys like Ethan Ampadu and Colin Munson Adoy that come in, and yes, they are playing against Europa League sides, sides that aren't very good, and they're balling up and, and they're standing out and they're looking like maybe one of the three, four, or five of the best players that are on the pitch that night. And that's the impressive thing. It's not like they're going in there and, you know, they're, they're pulling a, a – what's his name on Tottenham? Kyle Walker-Peters or the the Kyle yeah. Walker wannabe? Yeah. So, I mean, he slipped up against Usman Dembele. They conceded a goal. And then, I mean, he just had a nightmare the rest of the match, right? And, I mean, some people are good enough and some aren't. And, I mean, we saw Ampadu have every reason to have a nightmare um, yeah. against Vidi, and he didn't. And I think that's something that's worth noting. And and I mentioned it under when we talked about Hudson Odoi just a bit ago. It's it's just letting these guys have a run. Like for example, we let's say we play Burnley or South well Southampton did beat Arsenal, but you know Tottenham this week played a kid whose last name is Skip, who I've never heard of. Like there is no sort of hype around his name to the levels of that of Ampadu or Callum Hudson Odoi because again these two names are known outside of the Chelsea community. This Skip mm-hmm. kid. No idea who he is, but the kid won. He had a man of the match performance in his first ever start for Tottenham. Like, those are the kind of things that build the confidence for these players. Like, again, uh, Lotus Sheik has played great when he gets a chance at the in the Premier League. It's just about like, just it's a leap of faith kind of thing. Just okay, I've seen them in training. Now I just gotta trust them this one time. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you can't go into a game thinking, oh, well, they haven't ever done this before and be the reason why you don't choose them, especially in a packed December. I really hope we can see at least one of these two guys play some minutes in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I that's that's where it gets difficult. So, I mean, let's just move on to the whole uh, Brighton um, first Chelsea. So uh, Chelsea wound up winning that match two to one. Um one minor change in the starting lineup. Eden was playing the false nine again. 
So we had Willian on the left and Pedro on the right. Our midfield, uh, the same as last week. We had Kovacic, Conte, and uh, and Jorginho. And then David Luiz and Rudiger in the middle uh, with Marcus Alonso on the left, Aspi on the right, Kepa in goal. So Eden Hazard played the false nine. I mean, he had a goal and an assist inside 33 minutes. Three key passes, three dribbles completed. After this match, there was only two players in Europe's top five leagues with eight-plus goals and assists. Uh, one of them is Eden Hazard, and the other one is Lionel Messi. So, I mean, he's in good company. <laughs> um, and, and, and Hazard actually does lead Europe's top five leagues for most assists with nine. So, I mean, here's my thing. I like I like Eden playing here. Um, I think I think it's a good fit for the team. I think that we look a lot more fluid up top. But while I was watching this game, it was 5:30 a.m. Uh, over here in L.A. And the first after the first half an hour, we went up two nil. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know what? We haven't really blown out a team in a while. I'm kind of down for four or five nil. And I was sensing it because we were creating chances. We were moving the ball. We were fully in control of the match. Um, and then I got the sense that Eden Hazard did look kind of tired. And he did pick up that knock in the second half. So, I mean, this does tie in with my question. Um, oh, and, and, and Dr. Sari said that he would only be out uh, for the Wednesday match. And he and he <laughs> would be back right after. So, I mean, that's a positive. And, and Eden's no stranger to getting the shit kicked out of him. So... I mean, with Pedro and Willian hitting for, hitting this you know decent run of form, Pedro's starting to get some goals. Willian provided a few assists, had the free kick against Vidi. Um, I mean, is this our best front three? Yes. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, yeah. I mentioned in the against the City game that I didn't think that against City, Hazard was playing false nine. I just thought he was playing a striker. But here, he was given the freedom to come get the ball and operate more centrally. Um, you alluded to the fact that he was fouled only three times the whistle blew, but it was like six. Like the refereeing this weekend was horrendous. God but yeah. yeah, but I I think it's more credit to what Brighton the Brighton spirit in the second half as to why we didn't do more. I felt like they just came out kind of just motivated to get something. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think the the flexibility of having Hazard, Pedro, and William in the front is just you know, I thought that, okay, when you play a defensive team, they'll just sit back. But because these three guys are just going to be flip-flopping the whole time, if they can keep that level of energy for, you know, 70, 80 minutes of the game before one of them obviously will need a sub, that's something that can cause problems for, for Premier League sides. Uh, Hazard will get to be more pivotal going forward by, you know, playing the other guys through. He's probably the best passer out of the front three anyway. Um, William gets to play his preferred left position. And like you said, Pedro's done this before. He played in Barcelona when Messi was playing at the false nine. So he knows what he needs to do both for himself and to open up space for Hazard. Um, unless we make moves in January, I I think Sarri has, is committed to this. I, I really do think that this is going to be our front three typically moving forward. You know, early on in the season, this is before you actually came on the podcast, but uh, me and Sam did a show, and it was after the Cardiff match, actually, and, and we talked about Ali Giroud's two assists when he played the number nine role. And it's interesting because I kind of I asked the same question to Sam. I, 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 you know, 
is this our best front three? And it was Pedro, Ali Giroud, and Eden Hazard. And at the time, I didn't hesitate. I thought I, I, I thought that was it. I said, you know what? This is a good lineup up until we get another, you know, uh, big-name striker that's proven. Um, you know, this, this does look like our best option. But now, after watching them, uh, Pedro, William, and Hazard play up top last match, I drew a lot of similarities with the way Hazard and Giroud played. Um, Hazard, when he plays the false nine, I guess he's not as direct as he normally is. Um, he doesn't run at defenders as much because a lot of times he's receiving the ball with his back to goal. So uh, a lot of times it's he receives the ball, his back to goal, he spins the defender and lays it off to one of the wingers that's making a run. And then he's always kind of like that trailer. Um, I mean, obviously he scored a goal on the break, but that was due to the press. Um, so, I mean, that one's kind of a wash, but for most of the game, he was dropping in and dropping in and kind of dictating things from deep again, which is something similar that Drew did. I just thought it's worth noting. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that, but yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, yeah, he was dictating. I think Drew does it in less touches. You know, Drew holds the player back, you know, with his back turned to goal and then lays it off to somebody else as to where I think hazard makes multiple players focus on him. And that's where. The advantage comes at using Hazard mm-hmm. here. He just draws so much attention. That goal for Pedro, you know, Hazard had three players on him and Pedro got to essentially score a tap-in. So uh, I think that's where the big difference comes is that, you know, Giroud, you'll get the two center backs to split time on him. You know, in the air balls, they'll one covers him, the other one gets a second ball. But with Hazard, it's – you never know what he's going to do. And he always likes to operate centrally anyway. And we – we all know, and Hazard's come out and said it himself, that he's he's a playmaker. You know, he loves to set up his team rather – like he doesn't like to be the guy with 50 goals, which we would all love him to be. But, yeah, it, this might come good for him. I, obviously, I would love for him to stay at the left wing if possible. But if Hazard comes out and says that he's enjoying his time as a false nine, then I'm not going to change that. Yeah, yeah, of course not. And yeah, it's funny because the goal that uh, he set up for Pedro, he kind of he shoots it from outside of the 18 and it gets pinballed, bounces off 12 different body parts, um, and, and and winds up back at Hazard's feet. And the second he received the ball, I'm thinking to myself like, all right, someone make a run, just someone dart into the box so Eden can just you know slip you through and and find that goal. But he took his first touch to the outside, and I'm thinking, why is he going to the outside? Like, what are you doing? And then I saw three Brighton defenders all slide over with him and his giant space open up at the far post. And, I mean, th- that's the thing with Eden, right, is that he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't pull off those fancy over and unders. He doesn't do, uh, you know, he, he doesn't do sombreros like Neymar does. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that sh- flashy shit. I mean, he's very simple. He's just extremely shifty, right? His center mm-hmm. of gravity is really low. He dips his shoulder, and that's like his – that's his move. He's not really big on pullbacks and nutmegs and things like that. And that was just simplicity at its finest for me. I mean you dip your shoulder to the right, big touch over to the left, beat your man 1v1, just send the ball right across the face of goals. Trust your teammate will be there. I mean that's like footballing 101 for me. Um not a lot of players in the world that could do that, honestly. I mean, maybe there's only like he has to be in the top five, right? 
I mean, he, he has to be. He's easily in the I mean, top you got five. 1A, 1B, you got Cristiano and Messi. I, I I rate Mbappe. I think I think he's like a unanimous number three at this point. I mean, he's he's just so good. Yeah, but you said it yourself. Nobody right now has more goal uh, inner like uh, involvements than Messi and Hazard. So that is true. Yeah. If you're playing it off of that, like technically down, he's up there. Right Salah now. fanboys like we're still uh-huh. here just because he took two weeks to score since last time. Like. His numbers were that good already to where he could have taken a break and still have more goal involvements than most of – actually, than everybody in the league. So, yeah, don't – just because he took a week off, doesn't don't don't forget who the best player in this league is. Oh, God. I mean, what is it, 17 goals in 16 matches? Nuts. <laughs> just like, like that's that's – I dare you to try and do that on FIFA, on like World Class or Legendary. It just won't happen. I tried to do it, and it didn't happen. Um, so I want to talk about Maurizio Sarri and his quotes after the game. So, I mean, he said something interesting, uh, and we spoke about his like blunt honesty in the press. Uh, he said, quote, I think that we could have won better. Uh, we played very well for 60 minutes. We conceded a goal. We were in full control. In my mind, it was clear that in that moment we had to suffer in the box. We're not a physical team. I tried with the substitutions to have more of a physical presence. This was interesting for me because, I mean, we've seen Sari as a manager that's very wedded to the system, right? He's more or, – or, or, or wedded to his philosophy, not necessarily the system. His philosophy, let's have – let's get as many silky smooth players in that midfield as we could. We'll win the, bi- we'll win the ball high up the pitch with our press and, and, and we'll hit teams fast and hard. And if we're not going to hit teams on the break, we're just going to pass them to death. And I thought him bringing on Ruben Loftus-Cheek was interesting. Um, one, because it added that physicality. But two, because Loftus-Cheek offered that little bit of flair, right? I mean, there was one point where Loftus-Cheek jinked past one defender and then just kind of ran through the next two and had like a look at goal, but then somebody slid across. and Oh obviously my God, that was awesome. I think it was like his first time he got the ball to feet. So I mean, what do you think, Andres? Did we? I don't think we lost our grip on the match because of the physicality. I thought we lost our grip on the match because we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Well, yeah, there was multiple chances that, I mean, Alonso hit the post, I believe. Pedro skied one. Barkley mm-hmm. sent one into the stratosphere. Uh, oh, yeah. There was there was plenty of chances out there, but I think Sari is is more upset because. For like five minutes, like I might be exaggerating here, but at least three minutes around the time and leading up to Brighton's goal, he was asking for the sub. So yeah, I, I he's a superstitious guy. So I think that this might just be him being, you know, just upset that he was trying to make a sub that in his mind was going to help, you know, bring the game back to control a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the goal happens and he's like, Screw you, referee. I've been trying to do this for how long now? So, yeah, the ref apparently ended up not letting Loftus-Cheek come in earlier because of something with a sock, something extremely minute. But I think that's why Sorry was more talk, like more so like pinpointing that one moment. Um, I agree with you. For one, the, the finishing was horrendous in the second half. I, I really don't know why we couldn't have put more goals in the back of the net. And, uh, yeah, I do think that we gained something when Loftus-Cheek came back. 
the way he uses his body to to maintain possession and for a guy so big he's so elusive like mm-hmm. he's making these give and goes he's he there was another play apart from the one you were talking about with the run where he like took a turn he was inside the box and he turned from the defender where that defender just his ankles were gone he played a low cross and nobody finished it or he was trying to find pedro in the back post that's what it was and the defender got to him first so yeah lots of chic has just been phenomenal i i really wish that he could just cement himself as the left center mid but hey like i said about ampadu and, and hudson adoy give me love to loft to chic wherever it is that sorry wants to play him yeah i mean right now he's playing well um I think the thing with Loftus-Cheek that's most impressive is he has that wow factor. He does some things that are just th- that that sort of defy belief and that defy gravity as a whole. Like you said, some people that big should not be moving the way he does. He is so light on his feet. I mean, his when he plays out on the wing, it doesn't it doesn't look like he's a uh, center mid trying to play winger. It actually, I mean, he looks like a proper winger. He 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 has great first touch. He keeps the ball close to his body. He shrugs off defenders. He runs at defenders and beats them. And that's the thing. It's not just beating them with this sheer power. I mean, he's beating them with pace. The guy has everything. I mean, I mean, this is why I'm his biggest fanboy. I, I, and I mentioned the whole yes man thing earlier. I actually think that Loftus Cheek is going to be Sorry's yes man as, as the season rolls on. I think. Um, if we don't do a lot of business in January, I could see Loftus Cheek playing as a winger for the remainder of the season. Even um, maybe not every single match that that he plays in, but as as like a as like a third or fourth choice winger, I, I definitely think that's a good option, and I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I want to go back to to Kovacic. Um, look, I mean, in this game, it, it was it was pretty embarrassing how. Uh, we were only able to muster up three chances on target, three shots on target. We had 10 total attempts, and we only had six chances from open play. So just to give you an idea, Brighton had six attempts total in the game compared to our 10, and somehow got two shots on target compared to our three. Uh, they also created four of their six chances from open play. So, I mean, if you're... If you're going by numbers, I know that they were playing on the counter and they were using the width and they were hitting us fast and hard, but and 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 they were being more direct than we were. But still, I mean, four four chances from open play on only six attempts total, compared to six chances from open play on ten attempts total. I mean, Brighton was Brighton were efficient. I I think we have to give credit where credit's due. I think they executed their game plan to perfection. After the 33rd minute, right? After they conceded that second goal, they really seemed to find a way to contain us. Because I feel like most of our chances that could have been converted or could have turned into goals or assists or whatnot were actually in the first half. Um, it was definitely a game of two halves. I mean, we dominated the ball. We were They couldn't get past half field for a good five or ten minutes at one point, and it was... It's just frustrating because we have so much of the ball and we couldn't really do anything with it. And I'm not scapegoating. I'm not placing blame. But I saw Mateo Kovacic as, I don't want to say a liability in this game because that's unfair to him. But this was definitely one of his worst performances in a Chelsea shirt. Um, he just didn't make an impact on the match as a, as a whole. 
Um, he looked tired. He looked a little bit slower. He wasn't running at defenses like he normally does. I mean, Andres, what did you take away from this Kovacic match? I mean, because based on what I saw, I think Sari made the wrong call in the Europa League. I thought that we could have used Kovacic's energy and and, and that ability to be a, a, a number eight, a natural number eight. Um, I think we could have used that against Vidi, and then we could have used either Ross Barkley or Loftus-Cheek in a match like this against Brighton, where we need to be a little bit more direct. Yeah, I, I think that he shouldn't have played at all this week. Um, he left the Man City game early. We alluded to the fact that it's either the second or third time where a weird injury like that took him out of a game 40 minutes early. So I think there was no need to play him. Like you said, Barkley or Loftus-Cheek could have easily started that game this weekend. And it, it looked like something was up because every time, you know, usually, like you said, you'll see Kovacic make one of those darting runs forward where his dribbling looks really nice. He gets into the final third and then he he passes the ball. But I swear every time he got possession, he was he would do his little twist and turn, but only end up looking for a pass backwards. It was he wasn't pushing the envelope here and, and it was very uncharacteristic of him to play in that way, at least from what I've seen him do before. So um, I think that he wasn't good. I think that he shouldn't have played at all. And, you know, it also doesn't help when your partner on the left side and Alonzo has another nightmare of a game. So, yeah, it, a lot of things tied into it. I just think, yeah, Kovacic needs to forget about this performance sooner than later. See, I mean, I, I guess we're, we are being a little unfair because I, I'm looking at the team sheet right now. I mean, he was listed as doubtful up until, uh, I, I believe, the morning of when they once the lineup came out. I wasn't expecting him to even play in this match, to be completely honest. When I saw that Loftus-Cheek and Barkley started the VD game at midweek, I was thinking to myself, all right, uh, one of them will play an hour, and the first one to get subbed off will start at the weekend because right. I knew Kovacic was hurt. And uh, it didn't turn out that way. Sari does have a certain allegiance to particular players in the squad. And, I mean, I, I guess that's a good segue to talk about Marcus Alonso. Um, we talked about him possibly having some untouchables in his lineup, like Kingolo Conte, um, who's actually – and, and – I mean, nobody's surprised that he's molded himself into, you know, like this marauding box-to-box midfielder. Um, but, I mean, obviously we talked about Jorginho. He's untouchable. David Luiz, Antonio Rudiger. Now it's Azpilicueta. Um, but we, we see a lot of Kovacic and a lot of Alonso, regardless of them struggling or not. We see Alvaro Morata get in and out of the side. Um, he puts a couple decent games together where, where he gets us a goal or two and then drops off for four or five games and sorry, we'll drop him completely and he'll bring on Giroud. Giroud will do much of the same and then he'll <laughs> get dropped completely. But Alonso and Kovacic seem to be the two guys that aren't getting rotated as much and, and Alonso not at all. So, I mean, what, what, do, what do you make of the whole Alonso thing? Because I talked about it last week. I mean, I, he still plays like a wing back. Because mm-hmm. he is a wing back, um, but I mean, I, I, I guess the real question here is, 
what do you think the problem is with Emerson? Is it a matter of sorry just not rating him, or is it a matter of sorry just wanting to play Alonzo out of this funk? Because he is sort of an old school manager in that sense. Right. I I don't know what happened, man. Like I I remember reading something along the lines of Emerson, you know, enjoying nightlife too much or something like that. But Christ, man, like Emerson's playing well. Like he's doing what's being asked of him. He's you know covering the ground that Alonzo sometimes doesn't even bother to cover. His crossing is better for sure. Yes, he doesn't – we have the lack of height. I've seen that recently like, oh, well, you can't take out Alonzo because then we're not tall enough. But, you know, take that out Alonzo. That was a Mourinho thing. That's not a sorry thing. I, I mean, that's – sorry said that that was his headache against City that he was like, you know, if I don't put in Alonzo, then we're exposed on set pieces. And I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, we can – Make that real quick with a double sub. You play Loftus-Cheek in the middle, who's like a freaking tower, and then you play Emerson at fullback. So I, speaking of the two players that aren't playing up to their standard or as well as they should be, there's your quick solution. You play the two guys, you don't lose any height, and you look at two guys who are hungry to show that they can be, you know, better players for the system. I, I really don't get it, man. Alonzo just... I don't know what to say. He should have had a red card in this game, in my opinion. He was mm-hmm. awful defensively through elbows like twice or three times where I was just like, man, how the heck did he walk away without a yellow there? He His passing was god-awful. I, I, I wrote down here like minute 13, nobody's pressing him, and he totally misses an open Hazard who's like towards the middle of the pitch, and Hazard literally looks at him, throws his hands up in the air, and then later in the game, I think it was minute like – 57 Alonzo tries to curl across in the air to hazard it's like dude you're talking about hazard here it's not Giroud like these little easy decisions like something was up with Alonzo but it's now becoming kind of a repeat offense in terms of how many games he's going to be doing this Mm -hmm. I really don't get why we're not letting Emerson have a run at left back like it's funny that earlier this season you know, people are like, oh, Aspie is a liability and the back line. Like, and now in the reality, yeah, now Aspie's being solid and people are saying, yeah, you know, don't don't go spend on Hisage. Let's just wait. And Reese James can eventually take over instead of saying, you know, no need for a left back because, yeah, Alonso's just been. I, I mean, we thought he was going to get exposed just based on speed, but it's just his performance overall this weekend was not good. Yeah, and it has been for a while. I mean, I'm I'm the biggest Alonzo fan, right? I, I love him. I think you know he's he's been a great servant. I think he's still very serviceable. I think he could be of use to the squad, but I mean, there comes a point where, as a coach, you have to look at him and say, "Am I doing him more good than bad by continuously playing him week in and week out?" And maybe there is, um, maybe there is some sort of logic on Sari's side, where he looks at Alonzo the last two years, and says because he really didn't have his dip in form until the end of last year. I think after once Conte got sacked, or or, or once it was you know kind of or not sacked, once it was uh, accepted <laughs> amongst <laughs> most Chelsea fans that Conte wouldn't come back next year. Um, we really saw his play take a little dip, but he hasn't been rotated before. And there's two sides of that coin. One side could be, 
that Sari is thinking, okay, he hasn't been rotated before. This is one of those guys that just needs to keep playing to stay fit. He needs to keep playing to get back in form. Maybe taking him out of the firing line isn't necessarily the thing to do. Now, I highly doubt that because Sari is an arm around the shoulder type of manager. Like, he'll console you. He'll comfort you. He'll tell you what you did wrong, what you did right. And he says it bluntly. The players are – he has that relationship with the players rather uh, – as opposed to like a Conte or Mourinho that is just, you know, will we'll throw anybody under the bus just to, you know, deflect. But the other side of that is, is Emerson really ready? I mean, does he get it tactically? Now – I know he's played well in the matches uh, for the Europa League and in a few of the cup matches, but there are times where Emerson does get exposed. Also, I don't think Emerson is as great of a defender one v one as we think he as we think he is. Mm-hmm. I think we're just saying that because we see how crap Alonso's been. Um, but with that being said, I mean, from at least from my perspective, why not even? give Emerson a shot against a team like Brighton. Yeah. It makes it, sense. It, it totally makes sense. You knew that Brighton was going to line up with that freaking 4-5-1, and they're going to put Knockard out on a wing, and they were just going to have him chase long balls and, and, and spray crosses in to Glenn Murray all day. And, I mean, why would you start Alonso in a match like that where – you know he doesn't have the pace. He can't keep up with a with a tricky winger like Knockar. And I forget the the guy playing on the other side, um, some no name. But anyway, it, it's irrelevant. But I mean, you got a guy like Emerson that's a little bit better of a defender. I mean, he's not worse. That's a fact. He's not yeah. worse one v one than Alonso, but he has the pace. Yeah, in my to counter your your you know the lack of maybe tactical awareness or whatever you you have to remember Jorginho does speak Portuguese and in front of him now in this false nine system he's got William who does track back and also speaks Portuguese like he will have some sort of help and assistance from he Jorginho who's one of our vocal as well. well yeah you got the two most vocal guys on the team that can speak your native language the guy in front of you is known for tracking back and helping defensively yeah, it's he's in the perfect position to literally succeed. And one thing that he does that obviously like I mentioned that Alonso doesn't is he makes those runs down the line where he might not get the ball, but a defender can't fully commit to a winger fully knowing that the overlapping run is coming. And I think that also is a reason why perhaps Hazard's numbers kind of dwindled in the middle of the season because as Alonso's performances went down, so did Hazard's and it's cuz defenders weren't needing to they could double team him and that sort of thing so i i really think that yeah playing emerson for these kind of matches should be good especially when we need to maybe put in a little bit more work attacking when a team is putting in a a back nine so yeah i I think i i I agree man here's the thing i mean if he's if he hasn't been rotated consistently in his you know what is this his third year here now He's played every Um, minute of the Premier League this year. Yeah, there has to be a fatigue factor because, I mean, let's not forget, yeah, he wasn't necessarily playing for Spain in our World Cup squad, but he was still a part of that camp. I mean, he didn't get a summer of vacation. He was still training and and staying fit. So why not rotate him for a match or two, test out Emerson? Um, I think we have more than enough in terms of the attack to get by. I mean, we have a really... I don't want to say easy run of games, but we do play a lot of mid to lower table teams coming up. 
I think mm-hmm. one of the more difficult parts of our schedule passed, but I mean, yeah, let's just, let's just end it there because I think, I think we've, we've milked this Brighton thing to the T, but Andres, I mean, do you have any final thoughts, any, anything you want to mention just really quick? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Conte's movement moving forward was very good. Um, we didn't really talk about him much, but I saw, again, talking about selfless runs, there was multiple times where Conte did this run, like starting a couple yards behind midfield where he would just randomly just take off and do like a full-on sprint to go maybe 10, 15 yards ahead of Jorginho, where he would Mm -hmm. make the defenders or the midfield kind of like notice him and pinch in a little bit. And then Jorginho had Pedro wide open multiple times. And, you know, we're talking about how Oh, Conte doesn't know what he's doing. But in reality, he just opened up a pass that usually wouldn't be there. And we we mentioned that if the team is moving off the ball, sorry ball works. And so I think Conte's every week just getting better and better at this role. I, I'm I'm glad nobody's talking about the DM versus CM thing recently because Conte really is learning and we're seeing it. Um, the other thing is we talked about the fact that we had lack of chances and this is just me nitpicking because I thought William had a good game, but there was three times where he was just extremely lazily offside. Like if you were part of a, a of a club team or of a high school team, your ass is going to the bench after that kind of thing. Like that that was just so frustrating to watch because had he literally just taken a step back or, or kept paid attention essentially, those were three chances where you know William would have smoked that defender. And coming from the left towards his preferred right foot, one of those at least should have been a goal. So in a game where we, like you said, you wanted the 4-0, the 5-0, it was just kind of like, come on, man. this is That's the easiest thing you could have done. It was ridiculous. It was 5.30 in the morning. It was about 6 a.m. when we went 2-0 up. And I had, my, I had my espresso in my hand, and I'm watching the match, and I'm thinking, damn, this espresso is good. Damn, this match is good. What? Like, like, how could this morning get any better? And then the second half comes around, and it was just... I don't want to say it was a shit show, but I guess my final thought for the for this, for this match, at least, is... I mean, we've only really seen Chelsea put together a solid 90 minutes a handful of times this season. A consistently great 90 minutes, let me put it that way. I feel like this match was a perfect opportunity to do that against a weak team, um, right after a big, big statement win. I really thought that they would be more up for it than they were. I'm not saying we played poorly, but I would like to see the team put together 90 minutes of just brilliance more often. Maybe maybe I'm getting a little impatient. Um, that's, there, there is definitely some of that. But, I mean, I, I, I feel like the players understand sorry ball by now. I, I feel like they get they they know the idea they know where they're supposed to be. It's just a matter of repetition now. I think they just need to put together um, maybe like a few uh, maybe a few more months, two or three more months. I wouldn't say anything past February, where we get a consistent run of games. Players make the same type of runs. They get in the same type of positions that Sari wants them to, and then things will start clicking on all four cylinders. But I, I just feel like we're still on three cylinders right now compared to the four that we should be on. Um, but yeah. Anyways, 
Uh, I want to move on. I, I, I want to get into these Twitter questions. We have a couple doozies. We have a couple Twitter questions for people that have never tweeted at us before, Andres. This is unprecedented. Oh. But before we do that, um, I did make a promise to a certain someone, a certain Roman's Empire super fan, uh, Nick Lenartson, right? Uh, he has two twin boys named Alex and Seb. So uh, Alex and Seb, uh, if you guys are listening, this is officially a shout out from the Romans Empire pod. Uh, your dad is the man. Um, and there's probably going to be cussing sometime later in this podcast. So if you're still listening by now, you might want to uh, exit out of your podcast that we don't really say anything of significance. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what the time the time bit of this shout out was, but um yeah, for Alex and Seb, don't listen to anything outside this last 40 seconds because we do get a little bit explicit, and I don't know what your dad is allowing you to watch on TV yet. So, yeah, just uh, tune, uh, tune, uh, tune in next week. We'll try better with our we'll, mouths. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so, anyways, um, the first question comes from at Football Chelsea. So, I, I, we have talked about this a few times, but he he does uh, bring up an interesting player that we haven't really talked about. So he said, what signing should we look to prioritize in January? Mertens or recall Michi? Should we go in for a new right winger? So, I mean, it, it is a multi-parter. But, uh, Andres, I'm going to take this one first because go for it. I do understand going after a guy like Mertens. Um, I think it would be a good squad addition. But the guy is also 31 years old, and we're also about to hit a transfer ban. So if you're going to go out and purchase a 31-year-old, let's say we get a two-year transfer ban, he's going to be on our books till we're 33, and we're probably going to have to wind up using him when he's 33. So for that reason, I'm out. Um, but the whole Michi Bachuai thing, see, that's that's one that I do feel split on because – I always rated Michi's finishing ability, right? I always rated his ability to get the ball in the box and, and, and just put it in the back of the net. I mean, he's a poacher. That's exactly what he is. Is he Chelsea quality? Not a not unless it's against West Brom at the Hawthorns. You know, it's just it, it, it's one of those things where he's a great player, but he's not suited for Chelsea style right now. So, um, Andres, I mean, what what do you, what do you think? Mertens or Michi and ooh, I forgot to mention the right winger, but I mean you could take that. Yeah, um, I think that yeah, our front three is the priority in January, just because we're not we shouldn't get a center back because we're set there. We can let Cahill go if he wishes without, you know, needing a replacement. Um, same if Danny Drinkwater walks away, I don't think we're gonna get a quality center mid in January, even though I think it's Barella, the young Italian guy. Yeah. To potentially be a backup to Jorginho. If we can get some sort of pre-deal, I think that'd be great. Um, mm -hmm. I think Sesk, who apparently has declined a new contract, can do uh, you know, his thing for the final half of the season. Um, okay, in terms of Mertens and Mishi, Mishi, I something something just I mean, no manager where he's had now two managers. He's had a successful loan at Dortmund. Um he but now he's now struggling again in at Valencia in a less physically abusive league. So I, I just think it's just, you know, a round puzzle piece going into a square hole, whatever the saying is. I think Mishi, yeah, <laughs> whatever the saying is, second close, language close. thing. 
So I, I, something's up where I think Mishi just needs to go elsewhere. Maybe yeah. in the summer we use him as leverage for maybe a French league player, whether it's Talvin, Fakir. Um, those both names have been linked recently to Chelsea. Who's a, who's a youngster from Lille that everyone's oh, talking Pepe. about? Oh, Le- Pepe. Pepe, yeah. something Pepe, yeah. So Mishi obviously had success in the French league. Maybe he'd be more willing to go back there, maybe even to Marseille. Um, in, in terms of Mertens... Uh, a lot has come out. He did an interview recently where he's obviously excited about the possibility of coming back to Sari, which would be nice. Again, if that allows Hazard to play left wing and Mertens, who knows how to do the false nine, might be a good short-term solution. He also, in those quotes, mentioned that he would be totally okay with a squad role. So if bringing Mertens on is only, a, you know, fully knowing that he's going to be the second string next season, that makes me think that Chelsea's thinking big in the summer, meaning Morata's gone. And as much as I love Giroud as a fan and as a person, I I think he'd be gone too. So maybe that's where this is all kind of tying into. I don't think Mertens has a big salary. Um, Again, he understands what his role would be. So yes, he is 31, but again, he's not going to be the kind of ego that's like hey you need to play me again so i don't know i don't know i'd be okay with it just because it seems like the false nine is what we want to do for the rest of the season and it could give you know hazard a chance to move back to the left all right our next question is from at max and a bunch of numbers after so (laughs) uh who fills in at the right center mid spot in case of an angolo conte absence uh andres i think you're gonna agree it's it's pretty obvious that it's Kovacic. I mean, he's yeah. out of out of all, let's say, what five midfielders that we have, uh, Kovacic is really the only natural number eight that we have, which is interesting. And yeah. yet he plays this pseudo hybrid eight slash ten role. So and yeah. he's done it in Europa League already. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's been done. It's worked. Um, outside shout for Ampadu, maybe. <laughs> oh God, but, that would be incredible right, I, th- I, th- right. I think Ampadu is more of a six yeah that's fair so I, I think we've seen it before I think Kovic is just is the easy answer cool next question from at and, and we've been trying to figure this out okay so uh our Venezuelan friend you need to let us know uh at bnddycl I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> what so, is I mean, it? I mean, we need we need an explanation for it. I asked Andres is it like something that that like like my gringo ass doesn't understand is it in Spanish no, no. Um, <laughs> we're trying. I'm just as lost as you are. Yeah, so so we need an explanation. Tweet at us. Let us know what's up with the with the Twitter handle. But he asked, uh, can we still play Alonzo? Love the guy with his current form. Uh, Icardi on a plane to London. Just saying. So I mean, we already talked about Marcus Alonzo. Um, but 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 let's talk a little about this Mario Icardi thing, Andres. Are you on this? Are you on this hype train that like like there's something behind this? Because I this is just seems like a total Italian media sham type thing. If we were known to be a club much in the in the frame of Bayern or Liverpool that like to make these pre-contract deals where you sign them in January but they don't come till the next season, I'd be like, oh dude, it's happening. He's coming. He's signing a pre-agreement. He's going to be ours in the summer. But because we're not and we suck at doing transfer business, I really don't think that's what it is. I I have no idea. I know that 
I do know that Inter got knocked out of the of the Champions League, which is what everyone was hoping to make Icardi really consider Chelsea. But he's the team captain. He's happy there, apparently. I, he I sleeps think with that, his teammates' wives. Yeah. And then marries them. Right. I don't know if we want that at our club, but hey, whatever. He's a great forward. I think he wouldn't be, be anything new to Chelsea. Not, right, not a knock on right. JT. All, <laughs> all I know is that we are lacking a world class striker. We haven't had one since Drogba. Like that is actually world class and you can count on at any point. So I'm I like the fact that we're being rumored to be interested just because that's the kind of guy we need to be looking at. I just think it's it's not it doesn't really mean anything right now. I don't know if Sari is necessarily looking for a traditional number nine. I think I, I, I think he wants someone that would make the attack more fluid up front. I like for me personally, I think Mertens is a little bit more realistic. There's no way we're gonna shell out upwards of a hundred million for Icardi because let's be honest, that's the price he's gonna go for. We're taking Inter Milan's captain away from them. So yeah. I mean, just put that into perspective. Besides the fact that he's a a lethal, proven Argentinian number nine. Um, so I mean, I, that that's one thing. But two, I I do think he wants a little bit of fluidity. So I look, if this move happens, great. I know he's a little bit of a locker roomish ego. I know that you know sometimes uh, he doesn't get along with his teammates, which could be an issue. Um, but Chelsea have generally done a good job in purchasing players that don't cause too much of a fuss in the dressing room, right? Um, there, there, there's really no player infighting at Chelsea like there is at other clubs, which is always nice. But yeah, yeah. Um, and and like you said, in my opinion, if we are going to move forward with a false nine, I I would set my eyes. I I've been saying it before. I would love for Martial to be that guy. And I mean, he just him, seems like the perfect signing, right? Yeah, he, he'd be great. And, I mean, United's not doing too hot. So, I don't know. I, I know that they don't want to sell to us. And who knows? I, 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 I'm I now in the camp that says that Mourinho doesn't make it past the new year. So, who knows? Um, they, and then just, the other, they just triggered his, uh, his additional year on his contract earlier today also, Manchester. And Martial's agent actually came out and said, uh, we don't plan on signing a long-term deal after this one's up. Yeah, so who knows what's going on there. But the other one that I mentioned briefly is maybe Nabil Fakir. Again, um, like you said, not a locker room issue. The guy is going to be, what, 26, 27 maybe by next season. And mm-hmm. he hasn't gotten to to win anything at Lyon because PSG and, and I guess Monaco for a season have been dominating. So I feel like he would be a great addition to the team and he can play across the front three, even as a, you know, the attacking left center mid. So yeah. I, like you said, that fluidity, the guy that's going to do the work for others. Um, yeah, I, I, my dream signing would be one of those two guys, but Hey, I'm not our director of football and we don't even have one. So, Hey, we don't, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> it's like, it's like these director of football rumors come around at the end or beginning of every transfer season, and then they disappear in the time in between, and then they rear their ugly heads. A little bit of clarity on the club's part would be nice. Let's just put it that way. Um, Last question is from Atmani SW6. So I don't think this is a question we are suited to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways because I actually – I would like some some, some engagement with our listeners on Twitter about this. So – 
Um, if you head over to our, our, our most recent posts on Twitter, the one where we're asking for questions on the pod, at SW6 asks, with all the accusations and apparent infighting of Chelsea fans this week, there's been a lot to say the least. Uh, what are Chelsea fans doing about the harassment and exclusion of our owner from the UK Immigration Department? Surely we can turn negativity to positivity in support of the man who has given us so much. So we are not at liberty to answer that question because we Oof. frankly don't know the real reasons why uh, his visa got rejected. There's only rumors and there's only what the media reports. And if the UK media uh, has proven anything to us, it's that you can't believe anything they say. Um, so, uh, hey, hey, it's not a knock. I mean, we, we have fake news all over the place here in the US, so it's not like we're much better. But right. Um, I'm going to I'm going to answer that last question because he says, surely we can turn negativity to positivity. And I think that's a message that we on this podcast uh, want to promote. Right. There has been a lot of infighting with Chelsea fans. And to be completely honest, it's fucking ridiculous. I, I don't. All right, Andres, let's just put it this way. What I'm going to say next, I really don't care if people love me or hate me for it i'm just gonna say it because i know you feel the same way racism is wrong the fact that we are that that chelsea fans were caught abusing raheem sterling in the man city match is wrong that's that's case in point whether it is a chelsea fan or a tottenham fan or an arsenal fan or a liverpool fan or a real madrid fan you name it racism is wrong it should have no place in the sport whatsoever anybody that 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 hurls those you know comments at players when they go to matches and pay big money to go see these matches just so they could go racially abuse someone you're 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 a fucking dickhead as far as i'm concerned right here's the flip side to that yes i do think that chelsea is being scapegoated i think that we are being the ones uh who are uh put under the microscope more so than Let's say, for example, the Spurs fan that threw a banana at Aubameyang, um, which is, in my opinion, I mean, who am I to gauge? I'm not, I, I'm not black or African American. I have no, uh, 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 you know, right to say what is worse than the other. But from the outsider's perspective, that is like blatantly disgusting. And the fact that that hasn't gotten publicized, like the Chelsea fans screaming at Raheem Sterling, is is honestly sickening to me. Um, if, and, and yes, you could call me a hypocrite for pointing out a Tottenham supporter, but I'll give you another example. What about the treatment of, uh, on law enforcement's part in Spain towards English matchgoers in the Champions League? And look at last year, what happened with the Chelsea fans in Barcelona. And then you look at what happened at Barcelona again with Spurs fans this year. I mean, there's just blatant disregard for, um, simple basic human rights on the part of uefa on the part of the fa on the part of match goers and 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 everyday fans and that's not to say that that all everyday fans are bad people that's not to say that chelsea's a racist club um but there are shitty people everywhere and i think that's the overlying theme and i know a lot of our followers have been tweeting at us and, and 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 uh one of them mentioned that you know um, for example, those fans in, in Budapest holding up that flag with, you know, the, the, the Nazi symbol on it. And that's, I understand that they use Chelsea as this excuse to be the people they are. Right. 
they they say, oh, we're Chelsea supporters. We're going to slap a Nazi symbol on this flag and we're going to call ourselves the headhunters. You know, that's that that that's the ugly past from Chelsea that nobody wants to relive. No real genuine Chelsea fan, Andres, Sam or myself want to be affiliated with people like that. And let's just leave it at that. Let's stop trying to bash each other and turn on each other for calling out racism when we see it. How about that? I mean, it, it, it's funny to me because Chelsea fans are have this sense of togetherness when everything's going well. But when things – when something controversial happens, there seems to be this huge divide and this huge split, right? Let's, let's put aside what our favorite – you know, uh, a Chelsea Twitter page wants to tweet out about the racist incident. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to agree with anything anyone says on Twitter. You could have your own opinion. But if you're a good moral human being, racism is bad. And any type of racism, whether they whether they're matchgoers or not, they are still affiliated with Chelsea. It's still the club's problem. And we as fans should be looking to remedy it instead of blowing it out of proportion like it has been. That's all I'm going to say about it. If any of you disagree with me, you're probably slightly misguided. Let's just put it that way. And that's me being nice. Because we're all completely overlooking the main issue here, and that is racism in football. And it happened at Stamford Bridge in 2018. That's completely unacceptable um and and if you disagree with me frankly don't listen to us anymore unfollow us i don't need your view i don't need your opinion i don't need any of that shit so uh andres i hope you agreed with me i kind of uh that was like a sort of mercenary type (laughs) rant but i mean it's it's just this disgusting issue that's been going on for the last week and i think that everybody seemed to forgot that this issue all stemmed from race not from people trying to get attention or from people being matchgoers or not. I mean, it's to me, there's just no reason why there's even a distinction at this point. Yeah. um, All I got to say is that the people that call themselves fans that are going to go into the stadium or even outside the stadium just to yell profanities to someone, whether, whether it's based on race, religion, or sexual orientation, like, who who are why would you why just nobody's going to want to associate themselves with you i for one don't consider themselves them fans i just don't get it like you you know the issue is not a black football player on the field it's you who find that to be disgusting like you're the issue so yeah exactly see here's the thing like 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 we we could we could hurl all these disgusting you know, things at Raheem Sterling, but if Chelsea turn around and buy him in January, do you think those fans are still going to be saying the same things to him? Yeah. And it's like, look for these quote unquote fans, some of our best player, I mean, Drogba for one African player, you're an idiot for making fun of black people. Then Um, our (laughs) owner who brought us out of like an economic collapse is Jewish. You're an idiot. And for real, like, (laughs) Sexual orientation, like, are you kidding me? It's 2018, man. Like, you don't have to agree with it, but you also don't have to go out there and and make a scene about it. Like, end of story. Like, Just deal it, with it. it, it, it like, that like is a, like an adult. right. That, that's what culture is today. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah for, for those people that find it a, nece- a necessity to do that, I, 
anything and be related to Chelsea, you're not. Like, you're not. And, and I know that we don't consider you to be a part of of the Chelsea community because that's just inexplicable. Oh, how it works. Yeah. And, you know, one of the funniest arguments I've seen is that, oh, well, how are our chants anti-Semitic if Tottenham used the Y word also? Well, that's their decision whether or not they use that word. That's number one. Number two is that we're not saying that word as like a as as a term of endearment for them, right? Like like that's that's not we're not calling them by their names. We're using that word as an insult, and that's the issue. It's the way we're using these words and the context in which we're using these words that's mm-hmm. the issue. But anyways, I just want to move on. I mean, I mean that part's done and dusted. If you don't. Listen, if, 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 if you're listening right now and you just heard me and Andres talk and you don't like what we have to say, stop listening to us because, I mean, we, we, we don't need any of that negativity. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Chelsea versus Bournemouth, Wednesday, <laughs> Carabao Cup, quarterfinals. I know we're running a little bit low on time. Andres, give me your prediction. I think we go into overtime, but we do scrape away with a victory. Oh, man. See, you, you had a very similar... Uh, uh, guess to me, I I said two one Chelsea Loftus cheat goal, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I I think it's gonna be an extra time as well. I think it's gonna be like a a super sub type thing. Wait so, I, wait before I put my foot in my mouth, didn't did they change the was it a change in rules where he goes straight to pens in the Carabao Cup now? Oh, you know what? It might be. Okay, well in that case be. in that case I think Willy Caballero is gonna save our butt in the penalty kicks then. Yeah. Oh, hopefully, hopefully we don't get there, but. Right. Um, I want to move on. I want to talk about Leicester. So this is an interesting match. Uh, one for sentimental reasons because Leicester is my second favorite team in the Premier League because they sold us in Golo Conte, um, <laughs> and two because uh, the whole fifteen sixteen season and how amazing it was and how uh, we beat Tottenham so they could win the title and how we did them a favor. So now they could do us a favor by letting us win. So anyways, <laughs> Leicester is in 12th place. There are six wins, four draws, and seven losses. Something interesting is that in 17 matches, uh, they have a z- they have no goal differential. They're guess, at zero. Guess 20- who's also at zero? Manchester United? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew it. So uh, I, I, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and I, I, I think I heard it there, but... Yeah, I mean, they only have 21 goals scored in 17 matches. Now, I mean, that might not seem like a lot. That's a little bit over a goal a game, which isn't much. Um, but they've only conceded 21 also. So they they have upgraded their back line. Obviously, I mean, we've seen Harry Maguire. He's looked really good. They brought in Ricardo Pereira. Ben Chilwell's uh, been playing really well, getting called up to the English team. Uh, it's still kind of confusing to me why Wes Morgan's still playing. <laughs> when they have uh who's the guy they uh Johnny Evans when they purchased Johnny Evans last year I don't know why he's not playing instead of West Morgan but anyways one win in their last five Premier League matches it was against Watford Watford had a red card in that game I know I said this um <laughs> I I I know I said this recently about a certain team and I'm not going to name drop because I don't want it to happen again but the last time we faced a team that only won one in their last five, <laughs> we wound up dropping points. So I don't want to name drop, but you can kind of guess who it is because it's the only game we lost uh, this season. But um, it's safe to say it's going to be difficult to gauge it. So, I mean, Andres, 
at face value, what are the things that we need to look out for? What's the biggest thing for you? You do one and I'll do one. Um, for me, I think is, I just don't know how they're going to operate, but is, is making sure that Madison doesn't get space to operate between our midfield and our back line, Mm -hmm. just because if he gets kind of freedom at that point, either he might take a rip at goal or Vardy is going to be tirelessly running. So I think, again, it's cutting the source of the passes to Vardy. So maybe to for me is is uh, making sure that Madison doesn't get that much freedom um, between the lines. Yeah. So James Madison, five goals and two assists so far this season. Uh, he's been called up to the English national team too. I mean, England England looks like they have uh, a lot to work with in the coming years, right? Especially at at at, at uh, center midfield, Mason Mount, James Madison, Loftus Cheek. Uh, Will Hughes is coming to his own at Watford. I mean, there's there's there, there's a few good names out there, but my big thing is a counterattack, right? That's how Leicester won the title in 1516. Uh, Mares and Drinkwater's long balls to Jamie Vardy. Um, now we know Mares is gone, and Vardy has lost a little bit of pace, but don't get mistaken, he could still score goals. And he is a he is a title winning center forward as odd as it is as it is to say three years later. But for me, the only way to neutralize Vardy because he's not going to do it on his own. He's not the type of player to 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 dribble two or three guys and create his own shot. We have to limit his supply line. You touched on Madison. I'm going to say coming from the wide positions is going to be the biggest threat. They play a four two three one. Their fullbacks love to overlap their inverted wingers. Um, so, you know, they got Damari Gray, they got Mark Albrighton, and then their fullbacks, Pereira and Chilwell. For me, it looks like Pereira is going to be that guy that's going to be marauding and just torching Marcus Alonso at left back if he plays. Portuguese, he's young, he's super energetic, and he's also uh, capable of playing right mid too. So, I mean, he has that technical ability to hurt us. If we could stop them there, I think we'll be fine because they don't score many goals. So, yeah. Um I'm I'm gonna go two one again. I know it's three two ones <laughs> in a row, but this game just reeks of that typical ugly game that Leicester forces us to play almost every time we play them. Uh, we're at home, so I'm actually gonna go for two nil. Oh, I thought you were gonna say four. Oh, pfft. I mean I that hey, four I'll, was for the number four. No, 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 no. I I mean I'll take a four nil, but I think it'll be two nil. I think we'll see our typical starting eleven. And yeah, I uh, well, I guess our new starting eleven with with uh, Hazard back deployed as false nine, especially since he won't play midweek. So Kovacic or uh, Barkley slash Ruben against Leicester. I I'll go with Ruben. I think, like you said, maybe we use Kovacic midweek to kind of get his foot his footing back and play against uh, Bournemouth, who again. that's a tricky one because I think they may be thinking this is their only cup competition where they have a chance. So maybe they'll be a little bit more inspired, but Hey, it's not a bad place to start. And then over the weekend at home, I say, yeah, you, you go with Loftus cheek. All right. Good stuff today, man. Wow. We, 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 we did it all. We talked shit about Spurs. We (laughs) talked about two matches. We went in depth about racism and we gave our predictions for two matches. I mean, this was a fully loaded podcast. Um, Five star yeah. worthy, if you ask me. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know what? If you are a listener of our podcast, I know I haven't mentioned it in a while because I don't like to be that guy that's like, retweet us, promote us, uh, give us good reviews. But it would be kind of nice if we can get a couple iTunes reviews. I was looking at our iTunes reviews, and we don't have, like, any ratings. So rate us. <laughs> if you listen to us on iTunes and we're only one star, give us – what we deserve right like if you don't like us tell us why let us know reach out to us on our twitter at romans empire pod uh you can reach us also via email romans empire pod at gmail.com um and yeah just feel free to reach out to us talk to us let us know what you guys think and uh maybe you could even get your your twin boys a shout out like nick lenartson did so that's always cool too. You you could tell your kids they're on the radio. It's a, it's it's a win win <laughs> for everybody, guys. Anyways, until next week, um, hopefully two more wins in the bag. And until then, keep the blue flag flying high.